Hey, who fans, how would you like to get a 125% signup bonus up to $2,500? Join BetUS with promo code NEWBLOODS. That's N-E-W-B-L-O-O-D-S at BetUS.com, where the game begins. What is up, hoopers, analytics, bad guys, bucket getters, boosters, blue bloods, and new blood? On today's episode, we are speaking with CBS Sports, Matt Norlander. Get his takes on the whole Gonzaga to the Big East room. And also talk a little bit about where this program is headed in terms of Gonzaga, physicality, scheduling, all that good stuff. All right, joining us today is CBSSports.com writer and Twitter personality, Matt Norlander. You can listen to his podcast, Eye on College Basketball with Gary Parrish. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be here with you, fellas. Appreciate uh, you having me on and get to talk, like, talk serious college hoops and like mid to late April, which is which is good. I'm happy to happy to join you. Yeah, isn't it funny how like for the last two days we're recording this on Thursday. For the last two days, we've heard about how it's the end of college basketball because all the great coaches are retiring and the transfer portal is running amok. But seems like it's a pretty important conversation going on right now that a lot of people are taking part in in terms of the discourse. So. Yeah, I, yeah. Sometimes that stuff gets way overblown. Sports going to be just fine. Reigning national player of the year is returning. Going to be back at Kentucky. Uh, that hasn't happened since Tyler Hansborough. It's only the second time it's happened in almost forty years. <laughs> Special thing, and we might even see the previous preseason national player of the year opt to return to a school. I believe you gentlemen are all familiar with. We wait mm-hmm. on that as we actually record this podcast. So there's plenty. You know, it's never perfect. I made this point recently on Ion College Basketball. Um, I think sometimes, you know, people get so caught up in like what's not working. And this is a problem with every single sport. There's no sport. Mm-hmm. Like think about all the things that major league baseball is facing. The NFL is by far the most popular sport in America. It, it, it takes more criticism than many, maybe another league. The NBA is not perfect. It, it can't even get most of its star players to play 85% of its games. You see what I'm saying? So like there's all these sports have all these issues. So college basketball is no different than the rest. And just because there are some uh, problems with it doesn't mean that it is, you know, in danger of becoming irrelevant. That's just frankly never going to happen. You know why? Because a lot of people go to college and a lot of people live around colleges and they will, there's always going to be this emotional attachment where millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people are actually invested in the sport. So I'm just not that concerned about it. It's the greatest postseason in sports period. And, right. and as a result, um, the attention is always there. There's never a time when March Madness is not on the, uh, I'll have us all on the tip of our, on the, the, the tip of our seat, so to speak. So, um, absolutely. I was going to ask, you know, uh, a few months ago, you, you wrote an article about, uh, Kansas and their schedule with the home and home game with, with Indiana, um, mm-hmm. for this upcoming season. And in that article, you had mentioned that it could potentially affect the, uh, rumored agreement between Gonzaga and Kansas for for a home and home. Do you know any anything about that? About like, is, is there potential that could be postponed, or or is it something that's still potentially on the table? I haven't poked around on that in months. So there's always the potential that something has happened. I'm not I'm not aware of uh, just because of the pure nature of of the schedule. Like I'm not unless it comes up in conversation with someone. 
Um, I'm just not like in the middle of February. I'm not looking to make <laughs> <laughs> breaking <laughs> schedule news yeah. for next season. <laughs> I say this totally. I say time. this totally lovingly, but I'm not on the phone like John Rothstein doing a checklist making. <laughs> There's somebody saying schedule tells you that such and such. <laughs> no, no, and like you know, John's on top of it more than anyone could possibly imagine, and so he. I bet you he knows right now. Uh, but when I last checked on that. Like they wanted to get it done, but then like, the, like, first of all, the pandemic hit that pushed it. And then all these other factors mm-hmm. pushed it. Now yeah, you've got Kansas, Indiana, they're going to play. And I think if you look at the Kansas schedule, the way that there are certain games that have to get filled out, um, I think it could be impacting that maybe, but there's, you know, the great thing about the two coaches involved on both the sides, self and few, uh, they are two of the five most aggressive non-conference schedulers at, at the power mm-hmm. conference level, you know, so, so there's still a chance, but I don't have a, if I had an update, I would give it to you. Actually, I, I don't know, but I, I would assume that information will be revealed uh, probably by the summer, but I'll see right. what I can do for you. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting. You mentioned self and few, you know, with Jay Wright retiring yesterday, obviously this greatly impacts the the way that college the college basketball landscape is right now with coaching. Um, you know, I think it's interesting thinking of the perspective of like who are the the best coaches in college basketball still remaining. Obviously, self and few are near the top of that list, but even even more um, inside of that, like who are the best coaches remaining in the Big East without Jay Wright? Best coach in the Big East right now. Oh, that's a wonderful question. Uh, best coach. I mean, Sean Miller. Yeah. Here's the thing. Thad Mata. See, they haven't coached yet in the Big East, but yeah. um, Thad Mata has the best winning percentage. And it's got to be Sean or Thad at this point. Um, or maybe like Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley or... would be up there. He's yeah. up there. There's no you, doubt about it. If you it. want to appease me, Matt, you can say Ed Cooley. <laughs> Josh and I have a long-running argument about the Providence Friars. So. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. going uh, if you could give me any, if you could now give me any coach in the conference to run my program, I'm going to give. I'm going to say it's Sean Miller. So okay. that's my answer. Hmm. But, that makes sense. I mean, he's got, you know, yeah. he's got the pedigree and um, has definitely recruited yeah. with the Just, best of the best. So you've got, from a head coach perspective, uh, you've got, geez, I mean. Greg McDermott hasn't made a final four, but he might have the best team in the league next season. Uh, Shock has been to a final four. Miller's been to multiple lead eights. Thad's been to a title, uh, been to a title game and a final four separate trip altogether there. Um, Man. Oh man. Yeah. There's, there's a good variety. Uh, I was saying this on CBS sports HQ and and our CBS podcast. Biggie's probably has the most interesting situation in general going into the next season because you've got four new coaches and new spots there and Jay Wright's left. And then the question will be, will Villanova maintain its status as the clear cut best team in that best program in that conference? Or are we going to have some jockeying between Nova, UConn, Xavier, you know, Providence will be in there. We'll see what other schools. DePaul. Uh, <laughs> Nova, Xavier, <laughs> Providence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's always a fun topic to, to talk about, you know, which coach is better because you know the side the styles are so different uh, and it's so wildly um you know just the, the personnel that they run with like it's it's really hard to come up with a list um at any point because you don't want to disrespect any particular coach and um you know i i, I agree that i think sean miller is 
really underrated. And obviously the cloud that hung over Arizona probably tainted his opinion or the, the people's opinion of him across the country. Um, but he, he's a good coach and he was excellent at Xavier and obviously did a great job at Arizona until, you know, things went downhill. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in, in a recent article, you talked about like the best case scenario for Gonzaga, um, you know, regarding this rumor that was out there about the big East, um, you know, maybe some sort of a scheduling agreement during conference play, um, or, you know, something even with the big 12 on that end, mm-hmm. um, you know, can you speak maybe more to about like how how that could potentially work out? Because I think some people had questions about, you know, wh- where would um, where would they fit those games mm-hmm. in- inside the conference schedule? Sure. So when I wrote this piece, uh, it was actually even longer than I intended on being. But if I were to really get into how you would do it, like it would have to be like thirty five, four hundred, four thousand words here. So let's start with a couple of baseline things, right? Um, we all agree the West Coast Conference is going to be worse, right? We agree? Yes, absolutely. Going to lose BYU, right? I, the West Coast Conference might try and add a member. It's just not going to be a member that can be as good as BYU. And even if, like, Lavin gets San Diego going, maybe he does, right? But, like, maybe San Diego just kind of replaces San Francisco, which was really viable this past season. Golden did a good job in the big picture, but, like, you know, we're talking year over year over year. It's just St. Mary's and then it's been BYU uh, to a certain extent. But you lose BYU. So the big problem there is that BYU provides you usually with two, maybe three, but two quad one opportunities. Gonzaga needs those. It needs those for many reasons. But one of them I actually think is pretty crucial is that those quad one opportunities, and I didn't get into all this stuff in the piece, but I think it's critical to establishing this discussion. Those quad one opportunities in the league actually are the thing that I think can get Gonzaga over the hump to make sure it gets one seats, okay? If you mm-hmm. take away those, I'm just telling you, I think that their, their margin for error is so narrow. So we agree the WCC is about to get worse. Yeah. Would we all agree that Mark Few is not going to simply accept this situation? He's not going to watch the WCC get worse and not try and do anything about it. Of course not. Right. 100%. Okay. Right. Okay. Cause he wants to, whenever he does leave and it's not unthinkable to me, I can see Mark few going like two years and 10 years. I really can. I actually think he, he's so set on making sure that Gonzaga is in the best situation possible when he leaves. He doesn't want to have it. He doesn't want to leave. And no matter who the coach is, you look in five years and it's like Gonzaga has been to the tournament two and five years, doesn't have a win. And it's seeds were seven and 12. He does right. not want that. Okay. Right. So that's a disaster. And you can't recover. I'll lose that. all of my mental health immediately. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <No>. yeah. <laughs> Gonzaga is as you know, this gets talked about with me all the time with uh, coaches and ADs and commissioners. Gonzaga is just unlike any other program in the sport. It just mm-hmm. is in many ways, but because of its geographic, isolation the conference affiliation that it's in it doesn't have football it's super awesome in basketball it took a long time to really establish a reputation that's been able to maintain for well over a decade now okay so gonzaga joining another conference before i get to what i wrote about gonzaga joining another conference Mm -hmm. the pac-12 is not going to happen no correct right Will not happen. I don't even want to get too deep into that. It's just, it's not on the table. While I do believe that the Pac-12 would be enhanced by having Gonzaga, the fact of the matter is Gonzaga joins the Pac-12. It is at worst UCLA, Arizona, Gonzaga in the pecking order, okay? 
And all those other schools that are underneath Gonzaga are not going to invite another team. The only one of the only things they have in recruiting is the fact that they play in the Pac-12 and Gonzaga doesn't. Doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. Wind up mattering all that much in the end, but it's something they can cling to. And it's just, you know, Washington State happens to be very fortunate. The Pac-8 was formed when it was formed. Right. Yeah. Like that just it would never be in this league in 2022. It is okay. So the Pac-12 is not going to happen because of that. The Mountain West, I don't think will ever happen because I've been told I've never been told this by few directly, but I've been told multiple times that there is not enough there to entice Mm -hmm. Gonzaga to leave the WCC where it has so much autonomy over what it wants to do in the league, which is another important factor. If it goes to the Mountain West, it doesn't have that. And then, as I mentioned in my article, um, Ken Pomeroy, the man himself, told me, you know, back in 2017 or 2018, whenever it was, Gonzaga, you know, asked him to simulate to run. All right, take our past three, four years. Now, let's say we were in the Mountain West in that stretch. If we did that and we weren't in the WCC, how different are we from a power metrics, power rating standpoint? And I don't have the exact number. Ken didn't pull up the exact data, but it's marginal. It's it was mm-hmm. marginal. It wasn't right. Right. it wasn't enough for Gonzaga to seriously say maybe we need to make the change. So with that in mind, even though the Mountain West had a good season last season, regular season didn't win a tournament game. We know the whole deal. That doesn't seem to be something that would be on the table now. Okay, Big 12's already expanded. Not going to take any more members. SEC obviously not. AC, like you guys, like all the other conferences, yep. the American. Uh, not really. It's already like a geographic already being ravaged anyway, too. It's it's just there's it's not enough. The Big East is the one where in many ways Gonzaga is considered uh, an odd bedfellow, but there are a a lot of similarities there. Um, Unfortunately, I I will say never say never. I just have never been getting, I check in on this every so often. Then I was forced to check in on it again. (laughs) And and I, and I was like, listen, I'm thinking about writing this piece on Gonzaga, you know, but I checked with, you know, three good sources, two of them. Excellent. And it's like, I'm not going to write this. If, uh, there's going to be a, a, you know, a release in my inbox on May 1st that says Gonzaga is joining the Big East. I was told I'm safe. I trust those people. They're yeah. going to be outed if, if in two weeks, turns out they were misleading me. I don't think that was the case. Because a lot of those schools in Big East don't want Gonzaga to join. And Gonzaga can't join as like a basketball-only member because the WCC wouldn't allow it. Like Gonzaga has a lot of power in that league, but it only goes so far. And if it leaves as a basketball power, then everything else that Gonzaga does. That's all the leverage. That's yeah. all the leverage. It's all of the leverage. So, again, never say never. And I do believe that there have been informal and like real conversations between the Big East and Gonzaga on multiple occasions in recent years. But I don't think it's ever gotten to a point where it's like, all right, let's go take this package to the presidents and see what they say. I don't think it's reached that point, but um, I just don't think that's going to happen. So now we lead to, um, with all that as backdrop, Gonzaga is going to have to do something. Mark, if he's going to try and do something. Gonzaga, because it has, and I didn't get too much in this angle on the column either, because again, like it's national piece and I can't get too burrowed down on all this stuff, but the context to this is relatively important. Because Gonzaga still has so much authority over how the WCC schedules, 
I do believe that if you got the Big East and or the Big 12, and I said the, the Big 12 was a couple of reasons. I'll get to that in a second. If it said, listen, we want to do this thing where we're going to play three or four non-conference games in January and February. And let's say it's three. Let's say it's just the Big East and it's three. And one game is on the road, one game is at home, and what the hell, one of them is a neutral, right? Completely reasonable hypothetical scenario there. Uh, you have UConn fly out, Gonzaga's got to fly to play Villanova, and then it's going to play Creighton and Salt Lake City, something like that, right? One, I think that, that package would add value to the Fox television deal, which expires in three years, and maybe Gonzaga can make a little more money off of that. I'm not going to get into all the particulars and details on this as well, but Gonzaga actually does not make a ton of money because it appears on ESPN. Correct. That's the other yeah. thing. Like mm -hmm. Gonzaga is the moneymaker for the basketball, for the athletic department, all that, but it's actually not. It's we make, not we make more from root sports than we do. Correct. From, yeah, the local telecast. Yeah. You guys know, you know exactly what you're talking about. Like the, 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 so if Gonzaga can, and I do think that Fox and I just say this as a reporter, I, and the fact that like I've got CBS attached to my name is completely irrelevant in this discussion. I'm just saying, mm -hmm. knowing how the business works, I think there is it's not immense value, but I do think it would add a little something. And then maybe Gonzaga gets. Five percent of that deal, four percent of that. Deal. It's something. OK, mm -hmm. and it could go to the WCC because it would actually lift the profile. It would still continue. Listen, Gonzaga would be playing interesting, relevant games against good teams. However, you want to build out the formula for doing this. It's like, all right, here's the deal. Season ends. Gonzaga gets to play the teams that are ranked one, four and six at the end of the regular season schedule in the Big East. Those teams, no matter if they're going to be good or bad, those are the ones you get next year. Right. And you kind of know going in what it's going to be. Why can't you do that? So they could go to the WCC because there's only 16 league games. There is plenty of time and space, including this would also include moving the title game. I think probably the championship, maybe three or four days deeper into the schedule, which mm. I'll admit I was a little vocal this year over the fact that there's actually plenty of real estate before this log jam of title games on that Saturday before selection. There's actually too many. Right. Yeah, and the big right. guy is actually rightfully moving in early in the week. But if you're the WCC, you really should be doing this. You should be doing everything that you can to, yes, keep league integrity. I get all that. But keep Gonzaga in a place where it is happy. Gonzaga should be pursuing this. It's not unthinkable. What I actually do think happens is people get way too caught up in convention of modern times and like well, this doesn't happen anymore well it, as the piece depicts it actually used to happen all of the time yeah. all of the time every single year january and february ranked teams nationally relevant teams top 30 programs routinely scheduling each other in january and february with the specific intention of playing someone outside of your league as a tune-up for march mm -hmm. this was a very important feature to your schedule and then what happened was Leagues got bigger, 20-game schedules became a thing. Even 18-game schedules before it was 20-game schedules became a thing. The real estate on the calendar evaporated. Gonzaga does not have that issue. And for the Big East, it's only one extra game. So instead of scheduling a halfway decent opponent on December 4th, you just simply don't play that game anymore, and you get it one game against Gonzaga. I'm not saying that it would, in the same season it would be Nova and Gonzaga playing a home-and-home. Home. That's not what this is. You'd play them once. Gonzaga's the one that would play three league games. The Big East ones would just get one extra non-con game, and then they get it in the middle of the season. Right. It would take some ambition. It would take a lot of 
work to get it done, but it's not unthinkable. It's not impossible. The chips are all in the power conference's hands real quick. And then I'll, you guys ask what you want to ask. The reason why I also factored the big 12 into this is because hello, if you did this with the big 12, BYU could be one of the teams every single year. Why, why, why not do that? You already have a familiarity with it. And there's yeah. a, they're a relatively close travel partner, if you will, in addition to some other programs there. And the Big 12 is going to get a new commissioner. So maybe mm-hmm. this is just another thing that maybe, you know, a fresh voice, a new body in there. They're open to that. Uh, the only hiccup to doing a, a combo Big East Big 12 model is I did have a commissioner tell me, like, uh, I, I almost wrote about this in, like, the middle of February, but then things got too busy. So when I was talking to a league commissioner that's not with the Big East, that's not with the WCC, that's not with the Big 12, they said, with the way some of these contracts work now, you might actually not have a scenario where both of those big leagues would agree to do this with Gonzaga. Gonzaga might actually have its most success if it went all in on either one of the two leagues and tried a scheduling alliance there. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's interesting you mentioned um, – the big 12 changing commissioners, because I think one of the potential options for that is Gloria Navarra's from the WCC, from what I've heard. Um, I don't, agree. Know how, don't know how viable I would yeah. agree that uh, she would be interested. Why would you not? It's the same deal as a coach, you know, at a smaller school, getting a bigger job. Like, why would you not? So yeah, I would think that uh, she would be involved at least in uh, potentially being a candidate. Yeah. And, it, and I wonder, um, you brought up the idea that uh, this would be beneficial to Fox um, especially with that TV package coming up, would it not also be beneficial to Fox as the home of the Big East to push the idea of adding Gonzaga in that 2025 contract? Like, wouldn't that benefit them to also try to leverage that TV deal to have Gonzaga join the conference? I've been told that Gonzaga joining as a full-on conference member, if that's specifically what you're asking, um, carries cachet. But from a television standpoint, there is a disconnect between probably what people that cover the sport and people who follow the sport as fans think of Gonzaga's poll nationally versus what it actually is for a national. It's still good. It would be an ad, but there are a lot of hurdles to get there. And from a TV standpoint, there's enough there to make it intriguing. Like you'd have Gonzaga on Big Fox instead of FS1 plenty of times, but not always. And their value, someone told me, if like just blindly speaking, if it's like Gonzaga versus Kansas, who would you rather have join the Big East? It's like it's Kansas and Gonzaga's in that scenario, Gonzaga's not close. Like it yeah. wouldn't even be like, let's debate it. It's Kansas. Right. Like, and I understand Kansas is a blue, but I, I get all that. But yeah. those two teams were specifically nudged up against me just to say, if you think like Gonzaga is considered like a top 10 TV draw, that's not, that's not the case. Right. They're not. And, and part of that's a lot of stuff, stuff with TV people. They look at, it's the reason why the big 10 is like the only conference with these deals, like on all these networks, because the big 10 churns out millions of graduates every year. Gonzaga, as you well know, like the, 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 the undergrad population, what that also factors in market and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I do think there is, some pull there. Um, again, there are, as I understand it, there are just too many league presidents, ADs, coaches that are like, I am not down with Gonzaga joining this league. I fly out there and then the idea would be like, 
Yeah, you'll fly to Gonzaga and to save, like, on just to make it logistically easier, that you're going to play Creighton or Marquette on your way back. I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to fly across the country, play a road game, then two nights later have to play at Marquette. So right. that's another thing, just like logistical, without even getting into the cost of all the other sports that might have to travel and do all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the, that, anything about your sources obviously but i i know people on the inside at our program and they they said there's definitely stuff going on and i've also talked to people on the big east side um a couple of people in marquette i know somebody at xavier and they both indicated that they've heard things are going on but they don't know how close anything is they don't know like if this is the the idea is more like maybe 2025 but this is probably not happening tomorrow this isn't happening next year this isn't happening yeah in the in the immediate future so like the idea that some announcement was imminent which was a, i think kind of what some of the people were rumoring on twitter or wherever right um that's just not true it wasn't imminent at any point it's not unthinkable that this happens two three years down the road certain factors can change there's no yeah. doubt about it um yeah. i always maintain there's the there's always the possibility Although I, I wouldn't think that stuff would trickle down to other programs, but like, you know, there's always the possibility that Mark few, the Gonzaga president, the Gonzaga AD and like two people, at the big East, uh, you know, and maybe two people at a TV network say, we think we can do this in two years. No one says a damn word to anybody about it. And then we'll come back and address like that. I think that's always a possibility that's yeah. out there. Um, so I don't, I don't reject that whatsoever. Um, but it does not feel something that is, to be imminent. Gonzaga is super fascinating, man. Just in terms of like, it's always good. Um, always worth watching always in the tournament, often with a really, really good seed. And the thing that can benefit it with its league affiliation is also the thing that can be a, a drawback with it and how it, how it solves this riddle is going to be interesting. Uh, because after next year, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Great. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think another thing too, you know, Fox is not the only bidder on the table. I've heard Amazon's name mentioned a few times. Right. And, That's when it gets you know, interesting. If they, right. if, it really, if we get to that point or not, I don't know. Right. Cause Amazon's about, not to cut you off real quick on this. Amazon's about to get Thursday night football. Right. So because of that, it's going to be like a trial balloon on like how successful, like the NFL dwarfs. College hoops. We get, we get yeah. all that, but it's going to be like the thing where it's like, okay, is this going to be a thing of our future? Are we going to look up in 2030 and the idea that a lot of the games we're going to watch, they will be on streaming services in addition or exclusively from traditional over the air television is going to be a fascinating thing to watch because it, tied with all that is like how much money is invested? Like how much money can these schools get with all this? That, that's really what it comes down to. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, uh, Apple's uh, potentially going to land this, Sunday ticket deal, which is like $2 billion or something crazy. And I mean, that's, that's the thing. These streaming giants are, they can throw, I mean, massive amounts of money at these things that even the networks, like they, they look at, it, it's like, I don't know if I want to pay 700 million or $800 million for the big East TV rights. When I was just at what, like 400, 450, 500, whatever it was. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's going to be really weird to see what happens over the next three years with not just the big East, the big 12 pack 12, everybody as these TV deals come up and we start seeing, you know, all this stuff get jostled around again. Um, so I, I want to segue into more of the, the big East at large, the, you know, the, the Jay Wright situation, um, 
you know, it's it's kind of odd because I think some people brought up the fact that he kind of hinted at this in his, uh, you know, press conference in the Final Four. But I don't think anybody really quite realized that at the time. And, you know, it, for it was shocking. I mean, we all like we were in group chat just going, oh, my God, like nobody thought Jay Wright was about to bounce. He's only a year older than Mark Few, I, you know, and, and I just wonder, like, the transfer portal, the the situation with NIL, um, how all these programs are really like in a bidding war almost for some of these players now. Is is this going to be the new norm? Guys getting burnt out by 60? Maybe. Um, I'm going to read Mike DeCourcy's tweet from earlier on Thursday because he did bring up a good point. Yes, there's the potential for that. And yes, like I checked in with two sources who said, listen, part of this with Jay is that he is, he's, he has some burnout, like, and, and I can kind of attest to that with some conversations I've had off record with Jay, uh, this past season, but, um, here's the list of guys who aren't retiring. This is the course I want to read. So Bayheim 77, Laranaga 72, Huggins is 68. If you told me Huggins is retired a year from now, I'd, I'd believe it. Uh, mm-hmm. Izzo 67, Sampson 66. Hamilton is 73. Barnes is 67. Mark Adams of Texas Tech. He just got there. He's 65. Got there as a head coach. Mike Woodson just arrived. He's 64. Cal is 63. Mike Bray is 63, although I bet you Bray is not coaching in D1. Give him two more years. Uh, Pearl at 62. McCaffrey is 62. Self is 59. He's the same age as, as, uh, as few there. So there's still plenty, but yes. I did mention this anecdote as well on the most recent edition of Ion College Basketball. I had a number of people in the sport tell me like a year and a half ago, predict basically, you're going to see more really successful coaches retire at a time, at a pace, at an age where it seems like they are two, four, six years ahead of where they would do it. I would argue that Roy Williams probably did it probably two years before we thought he would do it. Mike Krzyzewski probably did it two years before we thought now the, the whole, we knew he was doing it for a year, maybe affects us. But when we learned last summer that he was doing it, it felt like, okay, he said he's going to be 75, but it still felt like, hmm, kind of felt like he might have one or two more years left him. He did right. it. And now Jay Wright is like at least six years ahead of the pace from what we thought would expect. So yes, mm-hmm. that is a, uh, that is going to be a thing. And it is a major concern with coaches just everything tied the job description has changed and so you gotta adapt and change with their playing coach they're like listen man it's what it is you uh, you can complain all you want we might be able to tweak things here and there like we might be able to but like do the work or you're gonna yeah and you can't go back you can't just shut off the transfer portal you can't just do that that's not how it works once you've done it you can't just go back to it you have to adapt And yeah, it's just a new way of building rosters, the way of recruiting a kid for two years, bringing them in for four, Mm -hmm. uh, and then developing them. They don't really play until they're a junior. They don't start till they're a junior. That's not how college basketball is going to work. And like it isn't in in some capacity. This was kind of what was the talk of this Gonzaga basketball season. People were shocked that Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, two five star McDonald's All Americans. We're lucky to play, you know, 13 to 15 minutes a game. And and I I think that reaction is so wholly different than the experience of uh, folks 
talking about freshmen, especially at Gonzaga, is this idea that um, you you're you need to keep players invested in staying. Agreed. Do you think you'll bring back both those players? Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I do. You talked about and wrote an article about the wrapping up that Gonzaga season and uh, Arkansas, obviously a uh, terrible, terrible loss for the Zags. Um, but mm-hmm. it was basically the conclusion that I think you came to was that there was a lot of physicality that Gonzaga didn't look ready for. And uh, what I, what, what we saw as fans was like the worst shooting performance that we've had in several seasons. Uh, shot quality, you know, indicates that we win that game by double digits, 80 plus percent of the time. So not going um, nuts on shot quality, just so we're clear. That's true. <laughs> Good, yeah. but yeah. um, it offers yeah. a little bit of comfort, Matt. Yeah, know? it's just. Yeah. A, I'm not it's saying that it's not viable. I'm saying it's viable, but let's not. Right. It's it just yeah. a. It's a minor alloy. Yeah. Just um, a solvent. We're steel healing so, a little bit. Yeah. But as fans, was, we hear this constantly. Like Gonzaga, too soft. Gonzaga. I mean, uh, that wasn't my takeaway. Addressed it. Okay. Okay. Well, that that's was, why I'm asking. You know whose takeaway that you know whose takeaway that was. Eric Musselman's. <laughs> how about that? You know how refreshing that is as a reporter to hear a coach actually say that on the record, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Play, yeah, he was honest. I he played in this him. conference. He basically said, "I played in this conference. I know the conference. I felt Gonzaga was not going to be ready to face us because it hasn't. It doesn't have SEC teams in that league. It just got through a first weekend. Wasn't going to be ready for us. We game plan for that. And guess what? He was freaking right." It yeah. wasn't Baylor a year ago, right? But it was almost Baylor light. The column was more about, and I did quote Musselman in there, like, and then there's, you know, like the fouls on Chet were a disgrace. Like, I get all that. Like, that's that's a huge part of it as well. Like, sitting there, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Because I want a good around. game. I want the players on the floor. I don't right. care who wins, but I don't want Chet Holmgren on the pine with at least two of those fouls. Being yeah. inappropriate. He literally okay. could not have gotten more vertical. It was impossible. <laughs> I know. So, um, and I actually, I tweeted and talked about that back in February, specific to Zach Eady and how he would be officiated. And then it wound up being a thing with Holmgren. Um, no, and then my, the one of the takeaways of the column was, it is objective, objectively fair to say that the past two years, were the biggest window and the best window that Gonzaga might ever have to win a national title. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it. That's okay. It's hard to win a title. But the past two seasons, that was that. You had the number one rated team in the sport per Ken Palm in both years. You got really, really close one year, and then you were fairly close the next, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Did Gonzaga's best window just close? Probably. Does that mean Gonzaga will not win a national title? Of course, that does not what it means. But what I said was, in a weird way, the way these things can go sometimes, and really the way that you sometimes see these things go in this sport, Virginia, UMBC, title winner the next year. This is for this is probably isn't even acknowledged among people listening to this podcast who are under the age of 23. Villanova and Jay Wright were mocked for like mm-hmm. eight oh, years yeah. about how they could not win in the tournament. That is so dead and buried. Right. Eventually won. All right. Um, Roy Williams, before he won a title, 
Bill Self had this as well. Like, you know, it, Scott Drew was a punchline. Scott Drew was a major punchline, right? Mm-hmm. So he was a punchline from us. We used to talk about how we were five and overs him all the time <laughs> until we go. lost in the right? title game. So and now, like, good job, really, Josh. In the past three years, it's Gonzaga, it's Baylor, it's Houston, Kansas that have like, had the best programs in the sport. So the column said, uh, while the window, their best window might be closed, in a weird way, maybe what's going to help Gonzaga going forward, it's still going to be a good program, but maybe if it doesn't enter the tournament as the best team, if it's not considered the number one team for the majority of a season, not that it's going back to Cinderella status, that's just frankly never going to happen with Gonzaga, but maybe if it's just, you know, a crowd a little bit more, it doesn't have the future number one pick, it doesn't have... Uh, a national player of the year candidate. It's just got enough really, really good dudes on the roster. Maybe that'll be the, what actually happens because Mark Few's a good enough coach. The program's good enough that you might eventually break through. You might never. But um, after having watched Gonzaga lose in person in the tournament for a second consecutive year, the way it happened, it wasn't perfect. Arkansas did deserve to win. Um no matter what shot quality says, Arkansas <laughs> deserves to win. Maybe the takeaway here is it's not the worst thing in the world if Gonzaga, it's just hovering between number five and number 20 in the rankings and the metrics in a given year. And maybe they actually crack through in a year we w- where we wouldn't expect them to. That was the column. And I, and I think in some capacity, that's why there's so much pining for Gonzaga to join a power conference by Gonzaga graduates, Gonzaga fans, with this idea that there will not be the shine because there will be more battles than there traditionally are currently. I mean, I personally would love what your column suggested or joining a power conference simply so I can watch good basketball in January and February. Um, So ultimately I think there's this idea of like, not just more quad one wins, but less quad three and quad four games. So there's like a legitimate chance for there, for what are Gonzaga's weaknesses to be exposed, which do not become readily apparent in most January and February games. That's, no, that's a fair and valid point. They got to figure out a way to, uh, I don't know if they will. I know they're going to try. They have to figure out a way to get more good games in the final six weeks before we, you get to postseason play there. It's a matter of if they can, if they can do it or not. So it was, I, you know, the, the piece was you know, kind of taking you behind the curtain though. Um, I had debated writing the piece for like, a month and then I was going to do it in February and then just other stuff kept happening. And so I was like, I don't have really time to do this. And then all that Gonzaga stuff, like surface, like rumors, who knows? I was like, so I was like, I'll put a call. All right. I'll write it now. So that's, that's why I did the piece. I wasn't like, you know, intentionally seeking to rise, you know, rise up the Gonzaga fan base or anything like that. But (laughs) uh, no, you know, and let's be real. Like um, we, we have beefs with certain uh, college basketball personalities out there, but you're not, generally one of them so i would argue as an objective voice i would argue i really like i don't think there has been a national writer who has more consistently beaten over the head of of other fans like how obnoxiously ignorant it is to dismiss i i think i'm the guy i really do like you can go back to things i was writing like in 2012 i was saying 
like the idea that Gonzaga is not legitimate is so passe and played out. If you wanted to have that opinion in 05 and 08, 2010, fine. Like this, we're going on like a decade that I've been beating this drum while also acknowledging, yeah. I think the column after Arkansas, like you can also acknowledge that like, you know, there are times when the tournament will provide opportunities for people to do it. And you, you, sure. you kind of got to, you got to sit there and, and take it for a minute. Right. Right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you can always read his material, cbssports.com, listen to his podcast with Gary Parrish, I on college basketball. Thank you again. Fellas, have a wonderful offseason. 